Good afternoon to everyone. Welcome to BibleQuest.tv. We're thankful that you're able to join us this afternoon. Um, with us today, we have Jeff Smelser from Exxon, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Jeff? Great, Chase. How are you? Doing wonderful. And we also have Joe Works from Elmira, New York. How are you doing today, Joe? I am very blessed. Thank you. Good. Um, thankful for the visitors that we have today that are listening. Um, if you're coming on just now, we're going to be doing a continued discussion on the case of abortion. Um, but we're going to be talking about a side of it that I don't think always gets talked about enough. Uh, I think a lot of times those who are anti-abortion, um, as we are and as, as we believe Scripture teaches, sometimes we spend so much time harping on just how it's a sin and how it's a sin and how it's a sin that maybe we don't give it enough time to explain that although it is a sin, it is forgivable. It is a sin that God can forgive because God can forgive any sin. And so that's what we want to talk about in the podcast today and look at a few different scriptures um, that can discuss that. So, guys, how does that sound? So where are we going to start? Um, uh, by the way, I guess before we start, we ought to remind our viewers that if you have questions or comments, uh, you can make them in the comments section of the Facebook page, or you can send them by way of BibleQuest.tv using the little Q&A icon. Yeah, I think that's a that's a helpful reminder. So anyone who uh, is interested in leaving us a comment, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, well, I know what we had maybe discussed starting with David, but um, I think just to kind of warm us back up to the idea of abortion and that kind of thing, Jeff, what do you think about taking us through Manasseh? Um, oh, sure, sure, sure. I think uh, that would be a better place to start off this. this yeah, episode. Manasseh is one of those characters in the Bible that um, you don't know about un unless you study your Bible. He's not somebody that that a lot of people know about, but he's a king of, of Judah. He's a king after the divided kingdom comes along. He's in the southern part. In fact, he's a king after the northern part has already been carried away into captivity, and he is very wicked. In in Second Chronicles chapter 33, it mentions all kinds of things that he did wrong, the uh, idolatry that he encouraged and so on, but it also mentions this in verse 6. He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. What does that mean to you guys, made his sons pass through the fire? I mean, as graphic as it sounds, it sounds like he killed his sons. Um, he had them pass through the fire. Yeah, and, and probably this is in connection with idol worship. Uh, you know, I've, I've spent a, a big, good bit of time in Guatemala and visited the Mayan ruins down there, and the Mayans would sacrifice people to their pagan deities. And that's been something that various peoples have done. In, in Ezekiel chapter 16, um, and verse 17, you slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. That's one of the indictments God brings against Israel. Well, Manasseh apparently was doing that. It says he made his sons pass through the fire. And Second uh, Kings uh, chapter, let's see, it's Second Kings chapter, oh, it's going to be chapter, oh, what chapter is it? Um, there Second it is. Kings 21. Yeah, thank you. Second Kings chapter 21 mentions that he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and that is in verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. So, all right, that's what Manasseh did, and, and that's the kind of guy we might think of, well, you, you might think of heinous criminals in history. You might think of Hitler. You might think of Osama bin Laden. And Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin. You say, well, somebody like that, they could never be forgiven. Well, you can't be forgiven if you persist in that. But even Manasseh, listen to this. Back in Second Chronicles 33, um, it talks about how God brought the foreign commanders 
uh, and they captured Manasseh because of his sin and took him captive to Babylon. Verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 33 says, When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And then verse 13 says, When he prayed to him, he, meaning God, was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. That sounds like to me that the Lord forgave Manasseh, that Manasseh humbled himself before God. Wow. And I mean, this is just an awful story of what he did. Yeah, and you might ask, how could God forgive something like that? But remember the horrendous suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. Why did he have to endure such horrendous suffering? Because he was taking the punishment uh, for all of our sins, however heinous our sins may be. Um, Jesus was taking the punishment for our sins. And, and if somebody would humble himself before God, such as Manasseh, even the sins he committed could be forgiven. Wow. One of the things maybe to consider in that is that if God wouldn't forgive these sins because they're so bad, where, do, where is the line to be drawn? Sure. Um, normally, we would draw it just right before our sins. That's typically the way we think. Anything I've done is just normal stuff, but what some other people have done is exceptionally bad. If God can forgive my sins, then why could he not forgive Manasseh's or the people that we were talking about last week who have engaged in abortion uh, for whatever motive? Uh, somewhat compared to this text, I think, and trying to maybe tie this back into our discussion, uh, I did not read the article. I didn't feel like I could probably stomach it, but I read the headlines yesterday of uh, a woman who was in the process of her ninth abortion, and she was laughing about it, according to the headlines and the, the brief clip right before that, uh, until she saw the baby being aborted. Mm-hmm. All the, the body parts, evidently. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, there are some people who will go through those actions sort of very callous, like Manasseh's being described here. Uh, almost thinking of it as a fun activity. And just to make the the connection explicit, I'm sure all our viewers have made the connection, but when we talk about abortion and can I be forgiven if I've had an abortion, uh, well, what what I've done, and I may be terribly ashamed of it now, but what I've done is I have brought about the death of, of my child. Well, that's what Manasseh had done. He had done it after they were born, but that's what he had done. And, and we see it's something that even this God could forgive. God doesn't take lightly our sin. Jesus had to pay a, a terrific price for our sin. But God is willing to forgive our sin in that way. If I can even just shift the conversation a little bit, too, because, because of the guilt that's going to come after facing an abortion, uh, think, think also about the guilt that Manasseh faced. Um, after he has humbled himself and after he has turned to the Lord, think about the amount of guilt he had when he considered just what he had done to his own sons Sure, mm-hmm. uh, and relate that even to the new Testament and acts the ninth chapter when Saul is finally converted and turns his life over to the Lord. Uh, chapter eight of the book of Acts says that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, there was a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. It scattered the brethren and in verse three, Saul began ravaging the church entering house after house and dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Uh, you know, I don't want to speculate too much um, whether or not Saul 
killed children or not, I, I don't know. Right. Um, but I do know he persecuted moms and dads of children. And the amount of guilt he would have been facing after he became a disciple would have been tremendous. But Paul used that as a motivator to go out and spread the word. Mm-hmm. And so if you're somebody who has had an abortion and you're struggling with this guilt, I would encourage you to turn that guilt over to the Lord, but also let it motivate you to work in the Lord's kingdom and do things for him, just like Saul did. Mm-hmm. And, and Manasseh as well. I, it really strikes me in Second Chronicles thirty-three fifteen that after his repentance, he destroyed those altars. Um, if I'm understanding this correctly, he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars he had built in the Mount, uh, the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. So he had been engaged in the, this idolatrous murder. He comes to full repentance. God grants him mercy and he goes out and acts upon that. He could have been so guilt ridden that he becomes paralyzed by that. But thankfully he seeks to undo the things that he could undo. And I'm really impressed by some of the women that we read about who had been a part of the abortion industry mm-hmm. on to great lengths. They feel guilty about it, but rather than sitting in that guilt, they've tried to act upon their repentance and on their sorrow by helping others as well. And so I think we can see some good parallels that you don't have to remain in that guilt. You don't have to remain with that burden. Uh, God can forgive it. And then you can use those uh, experiences, horrible experiences, but you can use them then to help glorify God uh, by assisting others. Even (laughs) we're going to talk, I'm sure uh, about another individual who committed terrible sin and in just a minute, and I'm going to jump the gun. We're going to talk about David and his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. In the psalm where David begs for forgiveness, he says this in verse 12 and 13 of Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted to, to, to thee. Exactly what you're talking about, Joe. David did something terrible. He did something awful. He begged for God's forgiveness with a mind to, I'm going to then encourage other people not to do the same kind of thing. And so this might be a good place to note while we're talking about abortion and those that have uh, engaged in that or promoted that and now understand that it's wrong. Can they find forgiveness? Absolutely. We probably have several people who are listening this afternoon who haven't committed that sin, but whatever sin you have committed, the same thing applies. Uh, We need to, Find seek forgiveness. God will forgive us for that according to his word. And then uh, we seek to uh, to serve him faithfully and to teach others about his mercy. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, that echoes to me, First Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, your job now is to share that message and to share that with others. Um, and that would relate to those who haven't committed abortion, uh, but those who have as well. It's all, it is sin. It is transgression before God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not only can you find that forgiveness, God desperately wants you to. He gave his only begotten son. Um, and if we think about the people, like in 1 Corinthians 6, 
you know, there's a, a, a laundry list of, of sexual perversions, um, uh, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, uh, you know, all of those kinds of people. He says, such were some of you, but you have been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mentioned Ezekiel 16. In Ezekiel 16, that's the passage where in verse 21, God says to the nation, you slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. There he's indicting the nation collectively. In Second Chronicles 33, we were talking about the personal sin, the individual sin of Manasseh. But here in Ezekiel 16, he's indicting the nation collectively. Here also, when we go to the end of that same chapter in which he is he has charged the people with slaughtering the children. Then he says in Ezekiel 16, verse 62 and 63, thus I will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am the Lord in order that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your humiliation. When I have forgiven you for all that you have done, the Lord God declares, you know, I was, in, I, I mentioned before the webcast today to you guys a Bible study that I had this morning, and I, I was talking with people in the group there about how in the beginning of the Bible you have the, the first sin, and God drives man out of the Garden of Eden, using language as it's translated into the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, same language that, that is used of Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple. And he put it put cherubim there with a flaming sword so that Adam and Eve couldn't return to the Garden of Eden. That gives us a picture of how much God abhors sin. He cannot tolerate it, condone it, accommodate it. He cannot accept it. And yet it's not very far along in the Old Testament till you find that same God saying to the Israelites, make a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among you. Just imagine if you've done something so bad, you're, say you're a teenager, and your parents drive you out of the house, and they say, we can't have you here because of what you've done. And the next thing you know, you get a phone call from them saying, hey, can we come live with you? It, you know, that's what, how, how did we go from here to here? And it's not that God is fickle. It's that God is showing us two things. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot condone sin. He cannot accommodate sin. He's not going to look at the taking the life of a child as a trivial thing that he can just sweep under the rug. But at the same time, he's made a way that he can get rid of that sin and dwell with us. And, of course, that way is Jesus, the death of Jesus. That If we're a part of that death, we can have our sins atoned for. You know, Jeff, I think there are certain sins um, that we commit or, or someone commits that it's there's a lot more guilt in those than there are in other sins that you commit, if that makes sense. I, I think abortion is one of those. Uh, I think a man or a woman who cheats on their spouse is another person mm -hmm. who is dealing with a lot of guilt and doesn't feel like that God can forgive them. And I've talked to people before right. who have said, I, with the thing that I did and with as awful as it being, I don't think God can forgive me. Um, what would you say to someone like that? I would say Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came not for those who, are, who have no need of a physician, but those who are spiritually sick, those who have need of a physician. He came and suffered that horrible death on the cross to take away, to atone for those horrible sins that we've committed. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded uh, Hebrews 9, 27, speaking about Jesus, it says, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Uh, when he came to the cross, his blood was sufficient for everybody. Yeah. And so when, when we're saying, 
I just don't feel like Jesus can forgive me. I don't feel like God can forgive me. We're really saying that his blood is not sufficient enough, and that is just simply not true. Uh, his blood is sufficient to take away our sins. Even those who crucified Jesus could be forgiven. On the day of Pentecost, Peter indicted the people. You crucified him, both this one whom God has made both Lord and Christ. And they cried out. They were pricked the heart. What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, uh, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. What a, what a thing that audience must have felt when they yeah. go from one minute to suddenly realizing, oh, no, he was the Christ, and we killed him. What do we do? And in the next moment, hearing, you can be forgiven. Yeah, what, what a sense of, of just um, of, uh, a weight being lifted off your shoulders once you hear that message. Yeah. Um, well, I had a thought, and it just escaped me, so I can't remember it anymore. Take us to David. All right, that sounds good. We'll go over to Second Samuel, the 11th chapter. Um, this story, I'm sure many of our viewers have probably heard before, uh, one, of, one of my favorites to go through. Um, David, who was the king of Judah and, and all of Israel at this point, the United Kingdom, we see him doing a lot of great things in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Second Samuel. He has many military triumphs. God is clearly with him. But when you get to chapter 11, there's a bit of a shift in the text, isn't there, Jeff? Yeah, David at this time is very successful. He's not even out fighting his own battle. His men are out fighting the battle for him. And uh, he's at home in Jerusalem up on his palace. Verse 2 says, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And so he, he take, she's a married woman, and he takes her and, and, is, and has relations with her. And, uh, and, and the text is going to go on and tell us in verse 5, she conceived and sends word to David, I'm pregnant. Yeah, can you imagine what David is feeling in that moment? Uh, just clearly has done wrong. This was not his wife to take. Uh, and it's not even that that uh, that um, that David was ignorant toward this. I mean, they told him this is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and Uriah happens to be one of his closest, one of the inner core, the thirty mighty men that were his closest bodyguard, and was out fighting his battle for him at this time. It's it's wrong, no matter whether this Uriah is a friend of David's or not. Uh, he's committing adultery. Yeah, but he uh, had that, done this. Uh, with the wife of, of a man who's fighting his battle for him. Yeah. And like you said, is a close confidant. It's he's in one of those inner circles that was in second Samuel twenty three thirty nine that you see Uriah the Hittite was one right. of those. Right. Um, and yet David still does this wrong thing. And, and, and reading through this text, you just see the mistakes. Uh, you, you can just see it happening. You know, he, and, and he doesn't go out to battle. You know, yeah. he, he's on the rooftop. Yep. Okay, now he sees her bathing. Okay, well, he could have went back inside, but that's not what he does. He sends and he inquires of her. Yep. Okay, well, you've inquired of her. You can stop it there. That's not what he does. He goes and he brings her and he lays her. There's the lust of the flesh. There's the arrogance. I'm the king. I can have what I want, that kind of thing. There's the betrayal of his friend. And now when he finds out she's pregnant, instead of saying, oh, no, I've done something terrible wrong, terribly wrong, and there are consequences uh, I'm going to have to accept these consequences. I need to make this right. No, he sets about trying to escape the consequences. And, and that's really what we have. We have a parallel here to abortion. He's committed sexual sin. 
there are ramifications he doesn't want to deal with. He's going to try to figure a way out of that. Well, that's often the case with abortion. It's not always because of sexual sin that somebody ends up having an abortion, but very often there was fornication. There were sexual relations outside of marriage. It may have been adultery. Now, oh no, there's a pregnancy. I've got consequences I'm going to have to deal with. How do I escape the consequences? Yeah. And you see David, he starts off with more of a passive approach to try and hide this sin. Uh, He calls Uriah back from the battle, and uh, he tries to get Uriah to go and sleep with his wife Bathsheba. And, of course, this is all David's plan to try and stage it. That way, if whenever it does get out that she's pregnant, he can pass it off and say, well, yeah, she's pregnant because around this time Uriah had slept with her. But uh, Uriah wouldn't do it, would he, guys? What was his reasoning? Joe, you need to turn your mic back on. Joe has something, you know, always good to say, but it just doesn't come across as all that, <laughs> all that solid when we can't hear the microphone. This I'm not sure. Uh, a lot of people would like for me to have a mute button. Um, I, I, now I've almost forgotten what I was going to say. Well, J- J- Chase was making the point. David, first of all, tried to cover it up by having Uriah come home and then say, go home and spend time with your wife, hoping that Uriah would go home, spend time with his wife. And then months later, when the child is born, Uriah and everybody else would just assume it's Uriah's, but Uriah didn't go home. Which, uh, obviously, Uriah had too much integrity with that. And I think it might, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent here, but even before the point of abortion, some individuals, because they've committed uh, fornication, they've, they've slept with somebody before they were married, and rather than repenting of that, and, and maybe even rather than going to abortion immediately, they might try to cover that up by getting married quickly. And sometimes people mistake that for being an, an act of, you know, making that right. Um, uh, you know, getting married quickly is not the same as repentance. Right. And, and I don't think you are saying that you shouldn't marry somebody if you have gotten somebody pregnant. I think your point is, if, if you're just trying to keep people from finding out that you've committed this sexual sin, that's not the solution. Right, right. Thank, thanks for rewording that. Appreciate yeah, it. There, there's still sin there, just whether you get married or not. Yep. That, that needs to be cleared up before God. And, and so the burden needs to be lifted from the heart of that individual by seeking forgiveness from God. Mm-hmm. And That's right. willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, after this, I'd say, more passive approach to try and cover this up, David turns to something far worse. Um, and uh, he sends a letter um, by, the, by the hand of Uriah. Can you imagine that? that? Yeah, I know. He's carrying his own death warrant. Um, and Doesn't know it. Yeah, and has no idea. And here's the other thing. There is also a lot of trust on David's end here. Uh, number one, if his first plan had worked, he's going to have to trust that Bathsheba doesn't say anything about that baby actually being David's. And then here, he's got to trust that Uriah isn't going to open up that letter and take a look at it. Um, so, so, so that's ironic. David is is trusting everybody else to have integrity when he himself isn't. Yep, that's right. Um, And so, of course, that letter is going to be taken to the commander of the battle, Joab. And in the letter, David says, I want you to send Uriah to the front of the fight uh, so that he might die. Um, And that's exactly what Joab goes on to do. He sends Uriah to the front of the battle, and Uriah perishes by the sword. Mm-hmm. And specifically, he says, put him in the hottest part of the battle and then withdraw from him. Leave him out there stranded. Yeah. And uh, so David was clearly 
not just saying, well, let's put a situation, put him in a situation where maybe he'll get killed. Yeah. David was saying, let's get him killed. I think there's a point to be made at, at what happens after this. So Joab, he takes a messenger and he, he's very specific and clear with the messenger what he wants him to do. Joab says, I want you to go back to David and I want you to tell him about the battle. Tell him that we went near the wall. And uh, he says, even tell him about this woman who throws an upper millstone from the wall uh, and, and, you know, really talk it up that, that bad things happened as we approached the wall. And then when David starts to get mad, I want you to say, but you're right, the Hittite died. Mm-hmm. And the messenger goes to David and uh, we're not told if the messenger talks it up, but he does tell David what happens at the battle. And what was David's response? Well, David acts like he, you know, well, bad things going to happen in battle. Just, you know, take courage, keep it up. Here's the quotation. It's in uh, verse 25. David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it. And so encourage him as if he's bucking up his soldiers. Come on, guys. Keep, keep fighting the battle. I know we've lost some people, but that's just part of war. Yeah. Totally oblivious to the fact that, no, this is not just part of war. I had this guy killed. This is cold. Yes. Um, David has clearly started compromising his values here uh, because he, he, it's worked. Um, and just imagine, as awful as it is, the sense of relief that came over David once he heard that Uriah the Hittite had died. Somebody who was formerly a friend and a close worker of his he's now relieved that that guy is dead. Something has clearly happened from over here to over here. Um, and that answer, that's sin. And um, it's just really interesting how some people compromise their values this way. And even in cases of abortion, people who before, who might've been completely against it, um, if they have an unplanned pregnancy or something happens, they start to compromise their values and start thinking that it's okay. So is it possible for a man who has done this, he's committed adultery, tried to cover it up by, and ultimately had the husband killed, and then he's acted so coldly in his conversation about it, is it possible for a man who's done such things as that to be forgiven? I, you know, on the surface, I think all of us want to say no uh, after looking at everything that he's done. But is that the answer? That is not the answer. That is not the answer. Uh, that's not at all what happens. So, guys, you get over to the next chapter, and by this time, by chapter 12, David has taken Bathsheba and married her, and uh, she ends up having the baby, doesn't she? But before um, she has, uh, well, let's see, is it before she has the child or after the child? What are you looking for? Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 12, when Nathan the prophet comes to David, I think, is the, are we told, told whether the child is born before or after that? I said 2 Kings. I mean 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27 says, When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. There ah, we go. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. All uh, right. But it says at the end of that verse, the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. So okay. let's not, let's not you know, scoot around it. What David had done was wrong. Well, then in so, chapter 12, go ahead, Joe. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to go back. So go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, no, I was going to go into chapter 12. So keep okay. going. So maybe, uh, again, just to try to draw some parallels that I don't think are exaggerated at all. You, you see all the things that we just described here in these, these uh, chapters that David did. One of the things that I see in him is, is a man in panic mode. He, he's just rapidly trying to think of things to cover his tracks. 
and he, he almost feels like there's, there's nothing else to do. I've, I've got to call Uriah back. I've got to get him drunk. I've got to try to get him drunk. You know, I, I've got to, okay, now I've got to, I just have to have killing. And you can see he's desperate to, to cover this up. And one of the articles that I read recently about women who have committed abortion is that they're not usually these uber feminists that we might read or, or you know, see on uh, some YouTube or something. Or, that is, or like this woman uh, that you were talking about that is eager to have this next right. abortion. Yeah, I think those are the exceptions. I think a lot of the women that are getting abortions, they're in panic mode. Somebody is pressuring them to, to get the abortion. Uh, they're afraid of their parents. And they're, they're looking for a way out of this mess that they've created in the often I'm saying uh, certainly some cases they've they're innocent and victims, but many of the cases they've created this um, uh, with someone else. And now they're panic mode to try to get rid of the situation. And so they then search. This is the only thing I feel like I've got left <laughs> to, uh, to murder um, uh, this, this baby. Um, and of course, when we look at the story of Uriah, David and Uriah, we think, Wait, the way that David saw to get rid of uh, this, uh, to cover all this up, was to kill an innocent person. Right. And, and we look at that and we think, well, no, that's a horrible decision to make. That's right. It, it is. So let's don't go to that extreme. You don't need to, to do that. There are people who are willing to help. If you're, if you're in that panic mode right now, if you know somebody who is, uh, you know, there are individuals who are willing to help. And, uh, and the per- point is not to judge or to yell or, or to, to somehow punish those unfortunate uh, situations. The, the woman, certainly not to, to help harm the child. Um, don't, don't allow yourself to, to make rash decisions in panic mode. Yeah. And in any case, death is not a viable option. Don't, don't see that as your way out. Um, as David did. That's a great point, Joe. Um, and I think along those lines, you know, David still hasn't seen anything. Well, I mean, he's seen something wrong with it, but he hasn't done anything about it. And what does it take for David to confront this sin in chapter 12? Well, he has to see it in somebody else. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? Nathan the prophet comes and tells him a story, and I'll sum up the story. Yeah, Nathan- go ahead. Nathan the prophet tells him about two men. There was a rich man who had a great many flocks. He's very rich, has many, many sheep. There's this other man who's a poor man, and he just has one little ewe lamb. And it's like a pet. It's like a daughter to him. Sits in his lap, eats his food, drinks from his cup. Um, and that's, that's his lamb. And then there's a visitor who comes to the rich man. And the rich man is going gonna, is gonna to provide dinner for the visitor. But rather than taking one of the many, many hundreds of sheep that he has, taking one of those and slaughtering it for dinner, he goes and takes the little ewe lamb of the poor man that was like a daughter to the poor man and kills it, feeds that to his guest. David hears that. In verse 5, David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who's done this deserves to die. David went on to say he's going to have to make restitution fourfold for what he's done. And Nathan says to David, You're the man. How was David the man? How was that story parallel to what David had done? Well, I mean, Uriah had the ewe lamb. Uriah had the ewe lamb. David had multiple wives. And don't you imagine, as king of Israel, 
just about any single maiden in Israel, if she'd heard David wanted her for another wife, she'd have been glad to, to be another wife, to be a wife of the king. He could have had just about anybody he wanted. Yeah. And isn't that what God says to David through Nathan? Uh, if you go down to verse, uh, excuse me, um, in verse 8, he said, I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Yeah. So then David understands, okay, I see what I've done. And Uriah tells him there are going to be grievous consequences that are going to come upon David. And David says in verse, um, verse, uh, let's see, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan the prophet says to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. And and we might on the surface say that's not quite the apology we expected, but uh, we'll get to Psalm 51 here in a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Joe. Well, I'm going to jump past Psalm 51 if it's okay. Uh, So we've read the history here. We've seen what's taken place. There is something that's going on within David that we don't read about in this text, but Psalm 32 tells us what's going on within him. In Psalm 32, beginning in verse 3 especially, uh, it appears referring to to this event. uh, After he has committed adultery, tried to cover it up, murdered Uriah, uh, and then made himself look like a hero by marrying Bathsheba. Uh, But during that time, it says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. Uh, So David, this is wearing on David. David knows that this is wrong. He's not... Nathan brings this to the forefront, but it was eating at David's conscience through this time. Um, he, he knew that this was wrong. And again, that's where a lot of women that have committed, that have had abortions, it's eating them up inside. Right, exactly. And, and so don't allow that to fester. Don't allow that to cause you hopelessness. No sin needs to, to bring us down like that. God can remove that. Yeah. Can, go ahead. I was going to say, even back to this story in, in chapter 12, if there's anyone out there who is pregnant and maybe considering having abortion, or you know someone who is pregnant and is about to have an abortion, don't, don't let this happen where it, it took this long for David to realize, wow, this is a big deal. Um, and I mean, I, let me explain what I mean by that. There's a buddy of mine who was just telling me the other day that his grandmother was a nurse at a clinic that, that aided in abortions. And uh, for a long time, she aided in prepping the women for abortion and that kind of thing. But then one day she had gotten certified and the doctor said, okay, today it's your turn to do the abortion. And she, get, she got in there and she couldn't do it. Um, that, that was the moment where she was like, oh, wow. Uh, I didn't realize just the weight of what I was dealing with until I was the one that actually got in there. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I see a parallel to that um, <laughs> with David. Um, don't, don't, don't wait until you have your first abortion because there are countless stories like that where women have that first abortion and it just hits them. How horrible it is. Don't make that same mistake. In this Psalm, in Psalm 32, where David talks about how he was 
uh, his sin was weighing so heavily upon him. This, this is a retrospective psalm. He is writing, talking about how he felt when he was keeping this all shut in and when he knew he was guilty, but he wasn't admitting it to anybody else. He's writing this after he has been forgiven, looking back to when he hadn't been forgiven. But if you go to the first two verses, you see the indication here, uh, God will forgive even this. David says in the first two verses of Psalm 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Those words are quoted in Romans, the fourth chapter, just with regard to how God forgives sin generally. And, but that's the, that's the key that we're trying to get across today. David could be forgiven. He could speak these words of having this blessing of forgiveness, even though he had done such a, a terrible thing. Yeah. Um, are, are there any other thoughts along those lines, guys, before we move on? <coughs> we Maybe. should. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Well, just a, a quote from Augustine in reference to, to David, and I think this helps to uh, maybe put it in perspective for the abortion issue and any other as well. Uh, but Augustine says that David's fall should put upon their guard those who have not fallen and should save from despair those who have. Hmm. Powerful quote. Um, if, if you find yourself like David, understand that you can find forgiveness. If you, have, if you haven't found yourself like David, recognize that sin is crouching at the door and, and wants to, to have dominion over us. And so we need to be on guard uh, against it as well. Uh, we should talk about Psalm 51 a little bit because this is the psalm where David records his pleading for forgiveness. Sure, yeah, that's where, there, that's where we were going to go next. Good idea. Um, psalm 51, uh, just starting in verse 1. And uh, by the way, if you look at the heading of this psalm, for anyone who's following along with us, it says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So that is how we know that this is uh, going back to 2 Samuel 11. But he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Uh, We'll pause there. Guys, isn't that interesting what David says there in verse 4? Against you, you only, I have sinned. Uh, Now, that's true. But had David sinned against Bathsheba? Sure. Had David sinned against Uriah? Sure. And probably many others, Joe pointed out in the pre-webcast meeting, think about how many other men died in that battle because of what David was trying to accomplish. Uh, there were plenty of other people that David had sinned against. Um, and when somebody commits abortion, are there other people that they have sinned against in that abortion? Sure. So why would David say this? He, the, the only reason it is sin is because of the only true God who is the true God. He's not right. sinned against Moloch or Baal or Chemish, any of these false gods that various people believed in. It all comes back to we are creatures of the God who made us. Amen. And whatever sin we commit, it's a sin against him, and it's only sin because it is against his will. When you think about the gravity of you have sinned and transgressed against the creator of the universe. You're all your purpose, your being. You've transgressed against that one that created you. 
all the others that you sinned against kind of seems not as big of a deal. They are still a big deal. They're just a part of sinning. My sin against my fellow man is a part of my sin against God. And it's overwhelming when you think about that you've messed up your relationship with the creator of the universe. And so I think that is very evident in what David is saying here in the first four verses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does someone want to take us through other parts of this? Just verse 7, he says, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He, In his sin, he is not clean. He is tarnished, but he's begging God to be clean again. Now, that's, that's a thing to focus on. If you've had an abortion, somebody in our audience, or if you've done anything else that you just think God can't, forgive. You can never be white as snow again. David is asking to be made whiter than snow. And he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence. We talked about Adam and Eve and how God drove them out of the garden. David says, don't cast me away. And down in verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness. He gets right to it. This is what I I am. I am guilty of blood. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of thy righteousness. Verse 16, thou dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. There's nothing I can bring or give or pay or offer to God that's going to make up for what I've done wrong. But verse 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. If I humble myself as Manasseh humbled himself greatly before God, if I sacrifice my own will, my desire to do what I want, and I just say, I'm going to do God's will, I'm going to put my trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in his atoning death, I'm going to be become a part of that death, being baptized into that death. I come with this heart that says, I am not righteous on my own. I need God's forgiveness, which is in Jesus Christ. That's when God is going to forgive me. That's right. And, and once we're forgiven, I think David puts it well in Psalm 103, that God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You know, the sin we've committed, it deserves death. Um, our death, we, we're, we have separated ourselves from God. But David goes on to say in verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those for, uh, who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God, God is able to take those sins away. Just, you can't even see them anymore. But when we're hanging on to them and not turning them over to God, it's on us. Knowing that God can do that, we need to humble ourselves. And like Jeff was saying, uh, know that it comes through the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, in connection with that idea of our sins being removed as far as the east is from the west, um, back in the Old Testament when the Jews would come to their annual atonement day sacrifices, the sacrifices of Yom Kippur, there were two goats. And there was one goat that was killed as a sacrifice, but there was another goat Uh, the priest would come and put his hands on the head of the goat and lay the sins of the people on the goat, and then the goat was to be sent away into the wilderness. And it just seems obvious to me that 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 is communicating to us the idea, not only does Jesus die for our sins as the one goat is killed, but in that act, our sins are removed from us as the other goat is carrying the sins away into the wilderness. And so our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. If I've had an abortion or done whatever that is wrong, 
there may be consequences that I'll, I'll have the rest of my life. David had consequences as a result of his sin the rest of his life, but I don't have to feel that I am still carrying the burden of guilt for that sin. The sin has been washed away. God does not see me as guilty. God sees me as whiter than snow in Christ. Amen. Amen. And servants of the Lord recognize if you have committed abortion, that's a sin, but we are all sinners. We all need this forgiveness. And so sometimes a woman might be ashamed to, uh, to come and to seek help. Um, uh, but I would encourage you to, to look for sincere servants of the Lord who, who recognize that we all desperately need the blood of Jesus. You know, there's, there's a, kind of a, a related thing here. We talk about people who, who have great guilt for one reason or another. I've known people who, who believed that they were responsible for their children's rebellion, who believed, and then maybe they were, who believed they were responsible for their children's turning away from God and their children's being lost eternally. Uh, they didn't kill their children physically. They, they loved their children but they believe that they did something in such a way, or they wonder if they've done something in raising their children that led to their children, their children's spiritual death. That's maybe even a greater burden to bear than if you have killed a child in the womb. It's sin. Both are sin. Uh, but but God, God is saying in this story in David, I can forgive you. David did end up losing his children, many of them spiritually. They ended up being rebellious toward David and toward God. Some of them did. And yet David could stand righteous. And we get to the New Testament. None of those sinful things David did are mentioned. All that we read in the New Testament about David, all that we read about David is positive, is a good example, a man after God's own heart, a man who is the role model for us and our being forgiven. And so you can think of it this way. A thousand years after David had done these terrible things, God sees him the way we see him through the New Testament. Amen. Those actions did not define his character. How he responded to them uh, did, though. Yeah. Well, guys, that's our time. Uh, Appreciate your all's comments and appreciate the viewers that came on. Next week, we're going to continue this discussion on abortion, but from a different perspective, maybe um, Joe uh, or Joe's going to lead us through that. And we're going to be looking at uh, the, the man's role in abortion, the one who impregnated the lady. Yep. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week, or Wednesday, three o'clock. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.